Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's Psalm 19, verse 14. And welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. My name is John Green, and I'm your host. Thanks for being along today. We are looking at the genealogy of Jesus that Matthew gives us in the first chapter of his gospel. And, and what I want to do is focus on the weird things, right? I mean, that that's always the important stuff, uh, is the weird stuff. And so what we want to do is is we want to say, okay, what is it he's trying to tell us? These things are, are, are intended to cause us to stop in our tracks as we read and go, what? Wait, huh? Why is he telling us this? Of all the things to tell us, why is he giving us this information? As I pointed out yesterday, we, we go right past the the matriarchs. You know, Abraham was the father of Isaac. He could have said by Sarah. Isaac, the father of Jacob, by Rebekah. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, by Rachel and Leah. But he doesn't. These are important women in the history of Judaism, in the history of Israel, and and they're not even mentioned, but then in the next one, Judah is the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Wait, why are we suddenly told about this woman? And then it happens several other times. We get Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And then David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. But every other one in this genealogy, which is like 41 people total, 37 of them, we have no earthly idea who the mother is, but in these four instances, we're told who the mother is. Well, why? What do these women have in common? They have several things in common. The main thing, first, is they're all Gentiles. Not a single one of these is from Israel. And, and you'd think maybe that Matthew included them partly at least because of that. Because what, what he was trying to say, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles who are both Christian, now Christian community, is God's always made room for righteous Gentiles. And he's always brought them in to the covenant community. And in the same way, he could now be encouraging the Gentiles that this is true, while at the same time sort of nudging, maybe, the Jewish Christians to fully accept the, Christ, the Gentiles who are now becoming Christians. And so he's going to give us these people. And, and if, if you're a Jew, you know who these people are, right? If you're a Gentile who's new in this Christian community, you may well not know who these women are. They have other things in common. They have other things. Those other things are that, that not only are they Gentiles, they are from tribes which are conquered by the Jews. And, and tribes who in most cases here are going to be people whose morals were suspect. In fact, all these had odd <coughs> sexual histories that are told in the Bible, with the exception of Ruth. And Ruth was a woman who kind of lived under a cloud. She was supposed to do something that it is sort of halfway overtly sexual. And in fact, over the years, people have suggested all manner of things about Ruth because of the act that she did, which was to uncover the feet of Boaz. Now, that, that tended to be a euphemism. We'll talk about more about that later, but today, and probably tomorrow also, in fact, in fact, I know it will be, we're going to talk about the first woman mentioned, and that is this Tamar, who is the mother of two 
twins named Perez and Zerah by Judah. And that, that's who the Jews are actually named after. And the tribe, the Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Judah has an interesting history. So we need first, I believe, we've got to go back from this place, from Matthew 1. We're only a few verses in, but we're already having to go back to the Old Testament to say, who is this woman Tamar, and, and why is she important? But we also have to recognize at the same time, we need to deal with the question of why is Judah important? Who is he and what does he do? Well, he's the one who was destined by the blessing of his father to become the patriarch of the family. The one, not, not Joseph, the one who was sold into slavery, who saves all the brothers after they made no attempt to save him. In fact, they intended to get rid of him forever. And yet he brings them back and provides for the family, provides safe haven in the time of famine so that they can be in Egypt and well-fed and maintain their way of life. So who is this Judah then? Where does he play into this? So we've got to go to um, Genesis 37. Joseph, the youngest of the brothers, well, the next youngest of the brothers, um, had brought a bad report about his brother. He was 17 years old pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Billah and Zilpah, his father's wives. Now, Rachel and Leah were his father's wives. Billah and Zilpah were their maids, respectively. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, Joseph, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peace of, peacefully to him. So there's two strikes, right? So the first strike is he brings a bad report of what his brothers are doing. And then the second strike is his father loved him more than he loved them. And so they were jealous and they were envious of the father's love. Now, part of that's on Jacob, obviously. You can't just blame the brothers for it because what we're told is Jacob actually did do this. This is not something they've cooked up in their own heads, no, that's not what happened at all. No, he actually did love Joseph more. And so then they hated him even more because he has dreams. And in his dreams, he is the top dog. His brothers are bowing down to him. And we know that will happen later. And then he didn't just have one dream. He had a second dream. And then in that one, it's not just his brothers bowing down to him. It's his father and mother. Now, what are you talking about? Are you serious? I mean, Jacob is even upset with him at that point, but we're told that Jacob kept the saying in mind. In other words, he, he wondered if that this would be true, actually. So then what's the next thing that happens? His brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, Jacob, Israel said to Joseph, aren't your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I'll send you to them. He said, here I am. So he said to him, go now and see if it's well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So in other words, he, he, it sounds like he has a suspicion and he wants to send Joseph out to see if they're doing the right thing. He's, he's learned to trust him because he gave a bad report of him the time before. He told on him. So he went and, and a man finds him wandering in the fields and says, what are you looking for? He says, I'm looking for my brothers. They're pasturing their flock. Where are they? The man says, they've gone away, for I heard them say, let's go down to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. That's not in Alabama. <clears throat> and then it says, they, the brothers, saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Does this remind you of any other incident that's happened already in the Bible? 
I would say Cain and Abel. But now it's 11 against 1, or 10 against 1, actually, because Benjamin's not there. But, but th- th- these now are going to conspire to kill him in a field in the same way that Cain killed Abel in a field when he came to him. And they're jealous of him because he has gotten his father's um, love in the same way that, that Abel found acceptance in God's sight and Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable. Here it's the same with the brothers. But, but this is more familial than religious, an issue. And so they decided that they would kill him. They said, let's kill him and throw him into one of these pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we'll see what's become of his dreams. In other words, they're never going to come true. So then Reuben, one of the brothers, heard it, and he said, no, 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 let's not take his life. He said, don't shed any blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. And the intention was to leave him there to die. We're not going to kill him. We're not going to actively do this thing under Jewish law. It would still be murder because a reasonable, reasonably foreseeable conclusion to this story is that he dies there in the pit. And the reason I say that is because they took him and threw him into the pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. So he's not going to survive very long because they throw him into this pit with no water in it. So Reuben says, don't do this, and so they threw him into the pit. But Reuben had a plan, and we're told the plan, and this he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. Now, they stripped his robe from him, the robe that his father had had made for him. They stripped that from him and threw him into the pit. And then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their <coughs> camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And so Judah, our guy, said to his brothers, what profit is if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? What are we going to get for that? It's not going to be any value to us if we kill our brother and conceal his blood. Who else had killed a brother and concealed his blood? Cain, again. We're meant to see those overtones. Now, the, the bad news is it's 10 against 1. The good news is they sat down to eat. They took a break. They stepped back away from their plans long enough to do this. And so remorse can set in. So remorse sets in, and Judah says, what, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. Am I my brother's keeper? Which is Cain's question to God. Where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for him? The answer is actually yes. Cain doesn't know that, doesn't believe that. So here, the brothers listened to Judah. But then Midianite traders passed by. So we got a group of Ishmaelites. Are these the same as the Midianites? So the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and helped lifted him out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels. So we've got a caravan of Ishmaelites who are traders. They're carrying this stuff down to Egypt. And then suddenly Midianite traders passed by and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites, and they took Joseph out of Egypt. Now we talk about Joseph selling his brothers, and it's odd because the next thing that happens after that weird set of stuff Midianite traders pass by, and they, who are they? Is this referring to Midianites, or is it referring to the brothers? They drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Now, rabbinic Judaism teaches that it's actually these Midianites who sold him, and so the brothers didn't profit at all from it. And it makes sense when you read the next sentence. When Reuben returned to the pit, 
wait a minute, and saw that Joseph wasn't in the pit, he tore his clothes and turned to his brothers and said, the boy's gone, and I, where shall I go? So was Reuben not there when all this happened? What's, what's actually going on here? Who, who sold who to whom? And, and they seem not to tell him. They don't answer his question. Where is he? They took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we found to identify whether it's your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It's my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn into pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments, just like Reuben had done, and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, No, I'll go down to Sheol to my son in mourning. And his father wept for him. And meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. I mean, this is all really confusing because it tells us, first we meet Midianites, then Mishmaelites, sorry, then Midianite traders, and then they sold him to the Ishmaelites, and then yet here at the end of the chapter, Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar. It's, it's really, really confusing. That whole narrative is wildly confusing. But, but at any rate, now, so we see Judah. Judah is the one who decides this is what's going to happen. We, we, we can't kill him. We can do something else, and we can profit from his death. And then they take the robe when he's gone and show dad, and they leave it up to him to form a conclusion about what happened. And when he comes to that conclusion... Nobody disabuses him of that notion. They allow him to continue to believe exactly that. And so this is the story of Joseph. And then suddenly, at the end of that story, that's chapter 37. Now chapter 38 begins with, It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adullamite whose name was Hira. Okay. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Er. She conceived again and bore a son, and he called, she called his name Onan. So he named the firstborn Er, and the second one she called Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Kazib when she bore him. Now, it's weird. What? So, wait, huh? Wait, I thought we were going to talk about Joseph. And that is indeed through the rest of the chapter or through the rest of the book. That's who we talk about. But we get this weird little interlude that it's like, well, why do we even get this? Well, we get it for one great reason, and that's because it's important later in genealogies to know this story. So we get Judah, who has been with his brothers. They go confound their father and, and lie to him and deceive him in, in much the same way Jacob himself had deceived his own father in order to get his blessing and steal it from Esau. Remember what he did? He put on goat skin to deceive him by what he was wearing in order to receive his blessing. Here, he himself is being deceived by his own children in very much the same manner as he, as he had deceived his father. And so now, suddenly, we, we get Judah who leaves, and he went down from his brothers and turned aside to this Adullamite named Hira. And while he's there, 
he saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite, and he took her and went into her, and then he had three children with her. And, and he was in some place called Kazib. Now, the first thing we know is this Hira is an Adullamite. Now, Adullam comes up later because uh, one of Judah's descendants, David, hides from Saul in the cave of Adullam. So this is all familiar territory for this family. Now the genealogy, or geography is tight in all this area. So it's, it's not remarkable in some ways, but, but there's so many other crossovers in this story, it's unbelievable. So, so you've got suddenly this digression from the story of Joseph to pick up this thing about Judah and his kids. And so we're told that, that he has these kids by this Canaanite woman. Now, why is he marrying outside the Israelites? Why is he marrying Canaanite women? That was one of the things that Esau did that so infuriated Judah's grandmother, <laughs> Rebekah. And yet, here he is. He's marrying this Canaanite woman. He's having children by her. And, and the Canaanites would have been a hated race. They would have been a cursed race. In fact, if we go back to Noah, who cursed the line of Canaan. And so he's marrying into this accursed line that, that is characterized by sexual immorality. And we know that because we know that God's going to make his people stay in Egypt for 400 years until the sin of the Canaanites fills the land. And so we get this odd digression, and then Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. This is Tamar. Wait a minute. Judah has children by Tamar, is what Matthew tells us. But here he gives his firstborn, this woman, to Er. But Er was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. And Judah said to Onan, the second one, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her. This is his leveret marriage. Go and do that duty and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring wouldn't be his. They would be counted as his brother. It would diminish his own uh, inheritance. If his brother has children, then then he's going to divide it, but the inheritance by thirds. If he doesn't, then it's only going to be divided in half between him and his youngest brother, Shelah. So Onan knew the offspring wouldn't be his, so whatever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. So he, he refused to impregnate her. He would have sex with her, but he would impregnate her. <clears throat> and what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, which is exactly what we're told before about his brother, Er. He was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. So Onan was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. And then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So he was afraid to marry his youngest son, the only remaining one, to this woman, because well, look what happened to the first two. So she went and remained in her father's house. In the course of the time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, that means he went through the period of mourning that's prescribed, he went up to Timnah, which is another interesting place because Timnah is the place Samson later goes to find a wife. So Judah goes up there to his sheep shearers. He has essentially established his residence here in the Canaanite land, not up where his family is, but no, he's gone to live among the Canaanites and, and kind of like one of them in the same way that Lot did in Sodom. So we, we get these compromised guys who are now living among sexually immoral people, 
And they're failing to do that. He's trying to keep the law at some level by giving his second son to to this woman to do what's right, what was Jewish law to do what was right. And yet it's not working out well. And so now we have a situation where where he has lost his own wife. He's lost two of his sons because they were wicked in the sight of the Lord. And now he's lost his wife. And now he's going up again to Timnah, to his sheep shearers, he and his friend, Hira the Dolomite, who we met right at the beginning. So we're going to pick up the story tomorrow, and we're, we're going to see a little bit more about who this Tamar is. Right now, all we know is she is married. To, she has been with two of the sons of Judah. She married the first one, and the second one was given in order to, to perform leveret marriage so that now he can raise up children for his dead brother to keep that name going. And, and now he dies too because he was wicked as well. And Judah has promised her to the third son, but he has some serious reservations about that. He doesn't seem to intend to follow through on this. And so we've got Judah who, who becomes the father ultimately of David and therefore of Messiah now in a pickle. It has not gone well for him in having gone down to this Canaanite land. So tomorrow we'll pick up this story further and we'll see a little bit more about this Tamar who is in the genealogical line of Messiah.